this morning, if you have your Bible, I want to invite you to turn with me to the book of Lamentations. Lamentations chapter 3. We're going to look together at verses 21 through 25. And the title of the message this morning is Enduring Hope. Enduring Hope. Let me, uh, let me just ask you if you've ever in your life felt like this. Have you, have you felt like that um, you were the man or the woman of sorrows? The person of sorrows that had seen affliction, uh, that you had darkness with no light, that you're, you ever felt like, you know, because of the circumstances in your life, your flesh and your skin were wasting away, your bones were all broken, bitterness and tribulation was your lot in life, that you cried out for help but felt that no one heard. It felt like there was a bear or a lion laying in wait for you, that you had been the target for someone's quiver of arrows, that they had pierced your kidney, that you were made to eat gravel and drink sour wine. Have you ever felt that way? Maybe. Well, whether you have felt that way, feel that way now, or are going to feel that way in the future, the message this morning is going to deal with that very issue. This morning, as we look at Lamentations chapter 3, 21 through 25, um, I believe here's what we're going to find. That enduring hope is found in God's sovereign goodness. Let me, let me say that again because that, that's really the theme of the message this morning. That enduring hope is found in God's sovereign goodness. And you see, here's why we need to hear about that. Because we lose hope when life is hard. We lose hope and we do not rest and trust in God's sovereign goodness. We forget that God is sovereign. We forget that God is good when life gets hard. And let's face it, life is hard, but God is good. So let's read the text this morning. I ask you to follow along. Lamentations chapter 3, beginning in verse 21. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in Him. The Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the soul who seeks Him. You know, I need to say that Lamentations over the last few weeks has been both my friend and my enemy. Now, some of you know that, uh, that you know, we've been going through some difficulties. I, I don't want to go into a lot of detail. But, and, you know, and it's, and it's, not, it's probably not the most difficult things we've gone through in our lives, okay? I'm talking about my wife and I, Judy and I. It's not the, they're not the most difficult things, but they're, they're hard. And, and they bring about, there's uncertainty, and there's um, spiritual stretching and physical pain and emotional stress that go along with all of these. And, 
And so in the midst of that, I've been turning to the book of Lamentations. And I say sometimes it's been my friend and sometimes it's been my enemy. And really when I say the book of Lamentations has been my enemy, that's not true. I've been my enemy in the way I have read the book of Lamentations. I don't know if you've ever read the book of Lamentations, but there's some, there's some really good parts in there. I, I sort of paraphrased them before, but let me just read a little bit of it to you now. Uh, in chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. He has walked, he has walled me about so that I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy. Though I cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with blocks of stones. He has made my paths crooked. And then here is probably uh, some of my favorite. And the, he bent his bow and set me as a target for his arrows. He drove into my kidneys the arrows of his quiver. I've become the laughingstock of all, especially that part about him bending his bow and I've become the target. I, 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 I've read those so that I can feel sorry for myself. That's what I mean when I say I have been my enemy as I've read the book of Lamentations. I have read these laments and, and identified with them and, and, and wrongly made this application to my life. It's okay for me to complain and be bitter and whine a little bit and feel sorry for myself because parts of my life are hard right now. That's what, I, that's what I mean when I say, I have been my enemy, as I've read the book of Lamentations. I've, I've read this book, read these laments, already knowing what they say. I read them so I could just kind of wallow in self-pity. But they've also been my friend, because God is faithful, and God has rebuked me for my error in the way I've read these, and then... He's turned around and encouraged me with the truth of his sovereign goodness. And therefore, I'm sharing that with you this morning. So it's also been my friend. You know, um, in, 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 so in that way, maybe I'm the right guy today to preach from the book of Lamentations because of maybe some experience recently and certainly lifelong experience because um, I, I'm older than most of you, okay? <laughs> I'm, old, I'm older than most of you and seen more of those hard days of life. So in that sense, maybe I'm the right guy, but also in some ways I'm the wrong guy to be up here this morning because the book of Lamentations is a beautiful poem. It's actually a series of poems, five chapters, and like... Uh, it, it, it is unbelievable how poetic the book of Lamentations is. And it's an acrostic. And like, like in chapter 1, each line is, you know, a, a letter. Of the, begins with the, the letter of the Hebrew alphabet, you know, in, in succession. And then, and then chapter 2 is like every other line. And then chapter 3 is a little bit different. And then 4 goes back. I mean, it's beautiful. And, and like, so, it's so poetic. I can't express that to you because I'm just not a poetic guy. I mean, when I write poetry, I look for words that rhyme with heart and scoop. Think about it. You know, beans, beans, they're good for the heart. Right. I mean, that, 
If you know me, you know that's true. Okay, I'm sorry. But, but when it comes to poetry, that's, you know, about birdie, birdie in the snow. Had a broken wing and couldn't I go a little bit closer to the piece of birdie. You know, um, that's it, okay? So, so, so you're not going to get any of the beautiful poetic value of the book of Lamentations from this message this morning because I'm the wrong guy to express that. So read a book or something, okay? Um, but, I, but I do want to say this. Lamentations is about suffering and God's faithfulness. It's about suffering and God's goodness. It's about suffering and God's sovereignty. And it's about repentance and faith. Lamentations takes place at a time when Jerusalem is under siege. It's being devastated. It's being destroyed. And the people are lamenting that fact. And then in chapter 3, there is one individual who is, who is seeing what's happening to his people, who's seen what's happening to Jerusalem, and very personally expresses the pain he feels over that. But then it gets to the point where he says, but... I remember this, and I have hope. So in the midst of all of that pain and suffering and arrows piercing my kidneys and chewing gravel and, and being in a place of darkness without any light, there is hope, and that hope is found in God's sovereign goodness. Interestingly enough, later on in, in the life of God's people, the book of Lamentations was sung in public worship as an expression of repentance and faith. Okay, so, so that became its practice. Man, what a beautiful message for us today, whether life has been hard, whether life is hard, or life is going to be hard. And believe me, that speaks to everyone here. If you're here today, life has been hard at some point. Or life is hard right now. Or life is going to be hard. Okay? And if you thought something different, um, I appreciate your optimistic outlook. And I don't want to burst your bubble, but I want you to have a realistic view of what life is. It's, it's going to be hard at some point. Okay? That's just a reality. So I hope that whether it's been hard, it's hard now, or it's going to be hard, God's going to speak a word to you today to encourage you to find hope, find enduring hope, hope that lasts in God's sovereign goodness. So as we look at the book of Lamentations and the verses that we just read, 21 to 23, you know, um, one of the first things I, I want us to see is that God's goodness is a source of enduring hope. Look at what the text says. 21, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. You see, what this man of suffering understands is that God is good. His loving kindness, his covenant love, or in other words... God's commitment to his people never ends. God's goodness 
in his commitment to you and to I never ends. It is eternal. It is forever. And that should be and must be a source of enduring hope. And probably at this point it would be good for us to all agree on what hope is and what enduring hope is. But instead of us, but, but this is not going to be a consensus, I'm just going to tell you and then you're going to agree with me. Okay? I'm going to trust, I'm going to ask you to trust me on that. Okay, hope, when we read about it in the scriptures, is not wishful thinking. And that's how we use it today. We think of hope as wishful thinking. Like, oh my gosh, I hope that soon I get a 55-inch HD-ready smart TV. Okay, now, do I know that it's going to happen? Absolutely not. Do I even think that's a possibility? Not really. Okay? But, yeah, I can, I can wish, hopefully, that that might happen. The, the TV fairy will visit me. You know? Carson, can I borrow those teeth? Oh. Um, I, so, I, oh, I hope, I, when I say, oh, I guess I hope I get that, that that's, that's wishful thinking. But in the scripture, when we read the word hope, hope is part of the definition of faith, the assurance of things hoped for. That's what faith is. And so hope is more than wishful thinking. It's actually assurance of the promises of God. That's that's what hope is. Hope is assurance of the promises of God. So when we say, in the biblical sense, we have hope, that means we are trusting fully and are assured that God will keep all of His promises. And so when it says that the steadfast love of the Lord is never ceasing or never ends, it means that God's commitment to His people is forever, it's eternal, and He will indeed keep all of His promises. So hope is assurance in the promises of God. And enduring hope is assurance in the promises of God that never falters, that never fails. Okay? That's what enduring hope is. So when things are difficult, when life is hard, and we are tempted to lose hope, to for our assurance in God's promises to fail because life is hard... No, we continue to have assurance. That is what enduring hope is. It's that assurance in God's promises that never ends, never goes away. And then verse 21 also says, 22 says that uh, his mercies never cease. His mercies never cease. Well, God's mercies in this context is his compassion. God's compassion for His people never ceases. So even when God is disciplining His people, and that's what Jerusalem was experiencing, the book of Lamentations is a lament by Jerusalem about the discipline that God is bringing upon them. Okay? And and just a little quick aside, so this would be like a parenthetical statement. So this, this is parentheses, sort of. And, and here's a parenthetical statement. Not all suffering is, is discipline from God, but some of it is. 
but some of it is. Okay, so one, when we suffer, do not always assume God is punishing me, God is disciplining me. But don't always dismiss it either. Okay, sometimes the difficulties we endure are God's discipline in our lives. And But, but what I do hope that we will see is that when we do suffer, when we do have those difficult circumstances that... That is a time of self-examination where we allow God by His Spirit to search our hearts. Because I know that when I'm experiencing difficulty and I'm feeling low, when I, you know, I start examining my heart, I usually find that there is unconfessed sin in my heart. And I think that, maybe, again, maybe that suffering is not coming to discipline us, but man, it definitely still opens our eyes to the condition of our heart and our need for repentance um, before God. But God's mercy, His compassion for His people never ceases. So even when God is disciplining, even in the midst of our difficulty, though God may not take the difficulty away immediately, know that His His, his attitude toward us is one of compassion. When we go through that difficult time, we must never, ever, ever think of God up there, you know, just like with this maniacal laugh, <laughs> you know, and this, you know, this kind of just, oh, evil smile on his face, like, ah, look at their suffering, and that somehow God is entertained or pleased by our suffering. No, that is not the case. God is not perversely entertained when his people suffer. Sometimes the suffering is necessary, and it is God who brings it into our lives, but it's never for his perverse entertainment. It's always for our good. But even in the midst of that, God's attitude toward us is that of compassion, You know what compassion is? It's when we're moved on the insides over another's condition. That's what compassion is. It's being moved on the inside. In other words, our gut aches because we hurt on the inside because of this person's circumstance and situation. And that's what God experienced. That's his attitude toward us. You know, it, it almost, you know, if God had a gut, it would make, you know... It would hurt because of his attitude of compassion toward us. And that never ceases. No matter the circumstance, God is compassionate toward his people. And here's why that is comforting. Here's why that is a source of of hope. Well, how about this? When you were a child, really young, and you got sick in the night, who did you call out for? I didn't hear anything. Yeah, mom or dad, and most of the time mom, right? Okay, so those of you who would call out for your mom in the night when you were sick, was your mom an MD, a doctor? No. How about a nurse? Not really? Nobody? Okay, so no doctors? No, how about faith healer? Okay. Um, I don't know, shaman? Okay. Pharmacist? Okay, right. So all of those things that could probably help you in your sickness, your mother was not those things. Why did you call out to her? Because you knew she loved you and she would have compassion on you. And her love and her compassion when you were sick and hurting in the night made you feel better. It comforted you 
for your mother who loves you and has compassion on you and, and would want to comfort you, who would put a cool cloth on, on your forehead. Does that really ever make anybody better? Not really. Not really. I mean, it makes you feel better, but, but it's, you know what? I don't think it's because it's the cold cloth. It's your mom putting it on your forehead that made you feel better. Your mother's loving compassion. Her commitment to you and her compassion for you in the night when you were sick and feeling bad, that brought you hope and it brought you comfort. Well, in that way, times a billion is why God's loving kindness, his loving commitment, his covenant commitment to us and his compassion, his mercies, which never end. And by the way, are new every morning. They're new every morning. God's compassion renews every day. It never gets stale. It never gets old. It constantly renews. That is a comfort to us, and it is a source of enduring hope. So, do you find God's loving commitment to you and His compassion toward you a source of enduring hope? When life is hard... Do you turn to God's goodness? Do you rest in His goodness? Do you trust in it? Do you, when life is hard, is that what you think of first? Is that where you go for comfort? Or is it something else? I have to admit that there are times that I go to something else other than God's goodness for my comfort. I will stand at the profile... Okay? And you'll notice that sometimes food is the thing that I go to for comfort. Okay? And I, you know, and I got to, you know, uh, <laughs> my wife and my uh, daughter, uh, Jamie, will, will, uh, will attest to uh, earlier this week uh, that, um, well, let's just say the Nile ain't just a river in Egypt. Okay? You know? Uh, <laughs> Uh, because uh, I've known, like, my, I went to the doctor some months ago and found out that I had uh, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, and I was a diabetic. And uh, that was, I don't know, months ago, and then I just didn't go back because I didn't want to hear what the doctor was going to have to say to me because I knew what he was going to say. Jimmy, you need to lose weight, okay? And um, so I, I turn to food sometimes for comfort. In fact, I think I've turned often <laughs> to food. For comfort when life is hard. Oh gosh, life is hard. I need a Twinkie. Now, oh gosh, life is hard. I'm going to a bacon explosion. Mm. Yeah, I only make bacon explosion publicly. No, no, that's not true. I, I, I don't make it for myself at home. I don't think. Okay. But I've turned to. What, what is it that you turn to for comfort and hope instead of God's goodness? His loving kindness and his mercy. Those are the source of enduring hope. But not only is God's goodness a source of enduring hope, God's faithfulness is a source of enduring hope. In fact, look at verse 23, the last part of verse 23. Great is your faithfulness. Okay, great. The this lamenter, the one, the man who is a man of sorrows acquainted with, with sorrow and suffering, 
he says, God, not only is your goodness a source of enduring hope, not only are, is your loving kindness never ceasing and your mercies forever and new every morning, but God, great is your faithfulness. Faithfulness, what does that mean? Faithfulness is that steady, unmoving, never leaving quality of God. Um, in Exodus 17, verse 12, um, well, the story is uh, Israel's the fighting a battle, and Moses is there. And, and whenever he raises his arms with the staff in the air, Israel's winning the battle. But when he puts them down, Israel's losing the battle. So um, do we have any great you know, uh, military minds out there? What should Moses do? Keep his arms in the air, right? Come on, it doesn't take... You don't have to be a general to figure that one out, right? You're winning, you're losing. Well, you want to win, so Moses, keep your arms up in the air. Okay, but the battle goes on for hours, so here's what they do. They find a rock, Moses sits on the rock, Aaron gets on one side, her gets on the other, and they hold, they actually hold Moses' arms up so that they don't move, so that they're steady. That word steady, it's translated steady there, same word that is translated as faithful. It's, in Hebrew, it's exactly the same word. So it's that steady, unmoving, unchanging quality of God. So here's what that means, and we've kind of already touched on this. It means that every promise of God has an eternal guarantee. Every promise of God has an eternal guarantee because if indeed God is faithful, in other words, He doesn't change. <coughs> he is unswerving, steady, rock solid. If, those, if that's what faithfulness means, and it does, it does mean those things, so it means that when God says it, it will come to pass. When God speaks a word, maybe does not enter into the picture. It's not a maybe or a what if or a possibility, but it is a certainty because God's promises, because God is faithful, because he always keeps his word, because he speaks it and it is done, his promises always come to pass so they have an eternal guarantee. So when God is disciplining his people, but his promise is to save them. He will save them. When God is working the character of his people through suffering, his promise to always be with them and to never leave them is still true. It's still there. And when God promises a Savior who will ultimately save his people, then you can bank on it. It's, it's a done deal because God's promises come with an eternal guarantee because God is faithful and great is his faithfulness. Um, I remember a number of years ago, uh, an increasingly larger number of years ago, uh, when I was in college back in 19... I, I was involved with a campus ministry uh, on my campus, uh, and our campus minister was like, man, his area of giftedness was like that street preaching, you know, super confrontational evangelism. So, you know, here's the kind of mission trips we went on. Uh, street 
evangelism in New Orleans during Mardi Gras. Okay, has anyone been to Mardi Gras in New Orleans? Raise your hand. Yeah, that's like lust on a stick. I mean, it's, it's, oh gosh. Like, if I want to get a picture of debauchery in my mind, I just picture the French Quarter at Mardi Gras, okay? Yeah, Keith, you've been there, right? Phil, you've been there. Am I, am I exaggerating? Okay, that's really how it is, right? Like, you saw stuff you never want to see again, right? Okay, all right. So I'm, I'm on that trip. And by the way, I haven't been, you know, I've, first of all, I was 20. I was 20 years old. Um, and I'd really only been walking with Christ regularly in a daily relationship for about a year and a half, okay? Um, and I was scared. It was a scary place. I mean, I was scared that, first of all, I would see something I wasn't supposed to see. I would see something I didn't want to see. You know, got to protect my eyes from, you know, girls gone wild and all that. Okay? All right? Um, but I was also scared because I just felt all of this animosity and anger toward me as a Christian in this place. It was like, the attitude was like, you don't belong here. You know, this is our party. Why are you here? And the first night we get there, and we're with this big group called No Greater Love Ministries, and, and, and I don't know why they do it, but the first night in New Orleans, we all get in like four across in a column, and we just do this march through the French Quarter singing some worship songs. You know, we're all, when we're arm in arm, and, uh, and we're marching, in, and oh my gosh, I was on the outside. Okay, so I was closest to the craziness. And I was, I was afraid. And, and then we're marching along, and then some guy just, like, shoots the gap and tries to get in front of me to break up our line. And, and there's all this pushing and shoving and pushing him out of the way. He's like, this is a public street. Like, we're, yeah, we're, and, you know, and, and, oh, my gosh, we finally got past. I was so scared. And then the guy behind me who was, you know, um, a real man. <laughs> you know, he was, uh, and no offense to any of you who are tw- male and 20, uh, okay, but I know I was pretty immature at 20, and um, and I'm sure you guys are more mature than I was 20. I don't know, maybe not. We'll see. Um, but he was a much older man, and he just put his arm on my shoulder. He was behind me, and he put his arm on my shoulder, just like this, um, and kept it there through the entire march, and it didn't move. And I have to tell you that that was a source of encouragement and comfort and hope for me. That his arm stayed faithfully on my shoulder through the remainder of that march. Um, I felt stronger. My fears diminished. And it ended up being one of the, it ended up being maybe a spiritual watershed moment in my life. The whole, the whole experience of that mission trip in Mardi Gras. But I think it really started with that guy just being, just faithfully putting his arm, hand on my shoulder. Um, it was a source of encouragement and hope. And gosh, you know, just that the, the faithfulness of his arm on my shoulder was an encouragement to me in a time of difficulty. How much more is God's promises that have an eternal guarantee resting on me, resting on us, and us resting in them? How much more are those a source of enduring hope? So... Do you? Do you trust 
in God's faithfulness? Is God's faithfulness a source of enduring hope for you when life is hard? When life has been hard, when life is harder, when life is going to get hard? Do you immediately rest in the promises of God? Or do you doubt that they have an eternal guarantee? Do you look for some other guarantee than the eternal guarantee of the promises of God? So not only is God's goodness a source of enduring hope and God's faithfulness a source of enduring hope, but also God's presence is a source of enduring hope. Look at verses 24 and 25. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. God's presence is a source of enduring hope. But not just simply this vague, unidentified, unrealized sense of God's presence. No, it's, it's his beloved, uh, treasured, longingly desired presence. It's God's presence because, let's face it, God's promises have an eternal guarantee and He's promised His people that He will never leave them, never forsake them, that He will be with them always. So God is always present. He's always there. But we don't always discern, rely, rest, desire, or treasure His presence. It's when we lovingly desire, when we treasure God's presence, when God's presence in our lives is beloved, when we... when Our soul longs after Him the way deer pants for water in this dry and arid place. When that's our attitude. When when we see the Lord as our portion. In other words, all I need. When the Scripture says, the Lord is my portion, here's how you need to understand that. The Lord is completely satisfying to me And it is all that I need. That's what the Lord is my portion needs. So, is the Lord your portion? I mean, when His presence in our life completely satisfies and we say He is all that we need and we need nothing else and we are completely satisfied in Him and Him alone, then the Lord is our portion. And it's that kind of presence of God in our lives that becomes a source of enduring hope. But not only the Lord is my portion, but the soul that waits for Him. Also that kind of presence or that kind of desire for His presence. The soul that waits for him. And this is the enduring part of enduring hope. When the trial goes on and on, or when the trial deepens, in other words, things get stacked upon the trial, you know, like, okay, you're losing your job, your job's ending. You've got to go to a different job. The job you've had for, you know, 11 years and invested your life, you've got to, that's over. You've got to do something else. And you have to sell your house. And Windows Vista fails and messes up everybody's computer in the house. And you've got to get with, and, and, and your knee doesn't stop hurting. And, you know, and, and then pretty soon it's the littlest thing. Oh, my car won't start. You know, and it's. But because it thickens, it deepens, you know, 
my car, you know, my car not starting is not that big of a deal, but it is when it's part of a deeper trial. So, you know, when, or, or when it just, the trial continues, it goes on and on, when the difficulty, when the, the, the hardness of life just keeps going, it keeps going, or the trials just seem to, you know, just, just, you know, back, just be one right after the other, you know. They're, they're not concurrent, they're consecutive. So when the trials are concurrent, they stack up, or when they're consecutive, they lengthen out. Either way, does your soul wait on the Lord? Because that's the kind of presence of God that will bring enduring hope when we wait on Him. In other words, to say, God, I am content for this trial to be over in your time, not mine. I want to tell you that that is immensely challenging, but immensely freeing. In fact, I'll tell you that we can't do that in our own strength. In our own strength, we can't. But God's presence that we longingly, lovingly desire, then that can become a reality in our lives. Our soul can wait for Him. The soul that seeks Him. The kind of presence of God that brings enduring hope in our lives is when the trial comes, we seek God. When the trial comes, we, we, we go to His Word. We go to Him in prayer. And maybe as the trial gets more difficult, then we seek Him out even more. We read, we, we read larger portions of Scripture. We spend more time in prayer. We spend more time seeking the Lord and enjoying His presence. We seek after Him as the trial thickens or as the trial lengthens. As the difficulty gets harder or the difficulty gets longer. When life gets harder or the hardest of life gets longer. We seek Him. That's the kind of presence of God that brings enduring hope. Not only does God's goodness and God's faithfulness and God's presence bring enduring hope, not only are those a source of enduring hope, but God's sovereignty is a source of enduring hope. And I think we really need to look at verses 1 through 25. Um, to see this sense, okay? I already read some of this. I'm just going to, okay. He has driven and brought me into darkness. Surely against me he turns his hand. Again and again the whole day long. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He is besieged. He is enveloped. He has made me dwell in darkness. He has walled me about. Um, he shuts up my prayer. He has blocked my ways. He is a bear lying in wait for me, a lion. He turned aside my steps. He bent his bow. He drove into my kidneys. He has filled me with bitterness. He has sated me with wormwood. He has made my teeth grind on gravel. Do you see the picture? What does the lamenter recognize? That, that God is the one who is sovereign over even the trial, even the difficulty. All that the lamenter is going through and all he has experienced, he tributes to God's sovereignty. God's in control of even the hard circumstances in life. And here's why that is a source of enduring hope. Here's why I say that, 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 that is, that's the case. It means that they're not random. It means that they're not beyond God's control. It means there is a purpose in them. 
I'm God and there is no other. I'm God, there is none like me. I declare the end from the beginning, from ancient times, things yet to come, saying, my counsel will stand and I will accomplish all of my purpose. When we have those trials, those difficulties, when life is hard, it's not just hard for the sake of being hard. It's not hard because of some random chance. It's hard because God is working His purpose out in our lives, and that's a good thing. That is a comforting thing. Man, if I thought the difficulties that I encountered both in the past and now and the ones that I will encounter were somehow beyond God's control and He wasn't Lord and sovereign over all of them, then I would be afraid. Then my hopelessness would be complete. Because it would mean that God was powerless to do anything about my circumstances. But God is sovereign over my circumstances. He's sovereign over your circumstances. Therefore, they are, they are working together for His purpose in our lives, which is a good thing. Though we may not see the goodness now, we trust in God's goodness and His sovereignty. And that He is working His purpose in us. And that is a good thing. It's a source of hope. It's a source of encouragement. Comfort, enduring hope. Now we think about God's goodness, God's faithfulness, God's presence, and God's sovereignty. I want to submit to you that those are ultimately expressed in Christ. And this is important for a number of reasons. One very Biblical theological one is that all of the law and the prophets point to Jesus. And so it's important for us to see how the, the book of Lamentations points us to Christ. And, you know, God's steadfast love and His never-ceasing mercies that are new every morning, His faithfulness, you know, His presence, all of that points us to the ultimate expression of those in Christ. Okay, But it, it's also good from a very practical perspective. Because sometimes we are tempted to think, God, the ultimate expression of your goodness is delivering me from the hard thing I'm going through in my life right now. That's not true. The ultimate expression of God's goodness is Jesus. Yes, God sending His one and only Son to come to earth and to live a perfect life. A life that we could not live. A life that we... uh, completely failed at and separated from God because of, because we are rebellious and we sin against God. God sent His Son when He had no good reason to do, do so and every good reason not to. While we were still God's enemies and in rebellion against Him, God sent His Son, Jesus, to live a perfect life, live the life we should have lived, and then to die on a cross, suffering in my place, in your place, taking My sin and your sin, my misdeeds and rebellion against God and your misdeeds and rebellion against God on himself. Taking the wrath of God on himself in our place. Man, is that not the ultimate expression of God's goodness? His loving kindness, His commitment to His people and His compassion for His people. Though we were separated from God and bound for a sinner's hell, God in His compassion and His loving kindness wasn't willing to let that go. In fact, He was never willing to let that go. In fact, not just from the beginning, but from before the beginning, 
from before the foundations of the world, God had chosen us in Christ. So it's always been God's plan in His goodness, in His loving kindness, in His mercy to redeem some for His own possession. Wow, and that is done in and only in and through Jesus Christ. When we, in repentance and faith, come to Him, our sin is forgiven and we have the hope of eternal life. Man, what an expression of God's goodness. But also His faithfulness. Because from the beginning and from before the beginning, God chose this as His plan. But He foretold that in bits and pieces and whatever throughout the Old Testament, even almost just, just after creation, just after the fall. God promised that there would be one from the seed of the woman who would crush the serpent's head. And that's the beginning of this promise of the one who would come and defeat sin and defeat death. And his name is Jesus. And God made that promise just after creation, just after the fall. And then made multiple promises throughout the course of redemptive history. You know, we read about those in every book of the Bible. There's this promise of a Messiah, a promise of one who would come, a promise of take, removing the heart of stone and, and giving a heart of flesh and breathing life over these dry bones and all of them. And one who would come from, you know, Bethlehem, of, you know, and all of this. And, and that's fulfillment of all of those promises is in Jesus. God's faithfulness is ultimately expressed in Christ. In God's presence, Jesus is Emmanuel. What does that mean? God with us. God became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father. That's Jesus. Jesus is God in human form. God with us. Yes, God's presence is ultimately expressed to us in Jesus. And then God's sovereignty. Again, expressed in Jesus because it has always been from eternity past, God's purpose and plan to redeem for Himself a people of His own choosing who are zealous for good works and to do that through this redemptive process of His Son, Jesus. So God's sovereignty is ultimately expressed in Christ. So what do we do with these sources of enduring hope, God's goodness, God's faithfulness, God's presence, God's sovereignty. What do we do with them? Well, we believe the truth and trust in it and rest in it. And we have to believe it now. And we have to believe it tomorrow and the next day and the next day. It's not just... I believe it once, but rest in it. And resting in it is what we do all the time. It's a constant reminding ourselves of this truth and relying on it, grabbing hold of it, resting in it, trusting in it. Not just giving intellectual assent, but in a real way, I don't hold. Okay, this this sounds incredibly touchy feely to me, but just to be held in it. Now I think of a trust fall. You know, how many have ever seen a trust fall? Right, everybody, everybody's seen that by this point. You know, you got somebody's up here like on this 
on the stage, and there's people down there, and they turn their back, close their eyes, and fall, and everybody catches them. Okay, and the trust part is you trust your friends to catch you, and and you don't really trust until you let them catch you. You know, you can stand up here and talk about, yeah, I trust, I trust, I trust, and then you just get, but I'm not going to fall down and let you catch me. Well, you don't really trust. Okay, it's when you actually fall and let them catch you that you trust. And so that's what we're saying here. When we just allow this truth to catch us to hold us, to cradle us, then we are trusting in it, resting in it. Be patient and endure. If we're trusting and resting in these truths, in God's goodness and His faithfulness, <coughs> excuse me, and His presence and His sovereignty, if we're truly trusting and resting in those, then we can be patient in the suffering. We can be patient in the difficulty, and we can endure. In other words, we can get through with not only not just our faith intact, not just surviving, but thriving. Thriving in the midst of that difficulty. Growing spiritually, growing in our reliance upon God, growing in our reliance upon prayer and time in His Word. And then, show mercy and forgive. Just remember... The ultimate, the ultimate expression of God's goodness and His faithfulness and His presence and His sovereignty is Christ. And in Christ, we find mercy and forgiveness of sin. And it's only right that as we rest in these truths, that we show mercy and forgive. Enduring hope is found in God's sovereign goodness. His goodness, His faithfulness, His presence, His sovereignty is a source of enduring hope. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we recognize that You are good and that You are faithful. God, that you are present with us, and that you are sovereign. God, I pray that these truths would become a source of enduring hope in our lives. And in so doing, we would point to Christ for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.